to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, emergency management, lessons learned, COVID, well-being, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for and respond to and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me at LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, I'm going to welcome back Christine Miller. Christine, welcome back. Thanks, Alex. And we're going to talk about something, uh, uh, at least the acronym I had not heard of up this way, oil. But it's not the kind of oil people think it is. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little bit different. It's a uh, it's related to uh, lessons learned in emergency management, right? And that's what you're going to talk talk to us about. But first of all, obviously, the obvious question is, what does oil stand for? Indeed, Alex. So I prepared a little um, presentation to just give us a few slides to share. Sure. Um, here we go. Hopefully you're seeing slides in a moment. Yeah, I am. Our our Voice America listeners, unfortunately, you won't be able to see the slides, but Chris is going to talk us through everything that is on them. So, Obviously. And uh, just to introduce myself, since I may not be as well known globally as I seem to be in Australasia, I'm the National Vice President of the Australasian Institute of Emergency Services. And I've been in emergency managers management for more than 50 years. I did start very young. And so I've become very interested in how we can do better in the emergency and business continuity space. I've been specialising in business continuity for the past 16 years. So what's oil? And when I first suggested to Alex that we do this segment, I was thinking that we'd be talking about taking oil to Africa. And I'll come back to that point. So oil is observations, insights, lessons identified, lessons learned. That's where we get the acronym OIL. But bearing in mind that lessons are not learned until changes are made. Mm-hmm. And that oil fits within the, the greater umbrella or fabric of lessons management. Now, many of us who run business continuity exercises, emergency management exercises, near misses, incident reviews, after action reviews, post incident reviews, mid action reviews, whatever you call it. Yeah, uh, lots, of, will, lots of words for it. <laughs> yes, you will have captured many ideas about how what we did well and what we did less well. And so you're bombarded with all this information. And what are you going to do with it? How are you going to make good use of this? so that perhaps you can take the lessons you've identified and turn them into lessons learned so you don't keep falling over the same hurdles again and again and again. So where did all this come from? Not me. Uh, I certainly can't lay claim to this. It's the US Army, it appears. Um, I'm always very interested to know where these things came from. You know, who is the instigator? And there is a book, uh, a slim book, um, only about 90 pages. Most of the books I read, I'm lucky to get anything under 300 pages. But the US Army appears to have been the developer of this in 1985. And then they shared these ideas elsewhere in the defence within the United States. And then it trickled into NATO. And that's why I thought that the Canadians know all about it because of your being a founding uh, member of NATO. 
and the British Army picked it up and then the Australian Army picked it up because we do send exchange officers to NATO, the British Army, possibly to Canada. We send our people everywhere because we believe that there's lots we can learn from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so off we go and try and learn these things. And we make observations, insights, lessons identified, lessons learned, and um, bring them back to our organisations. Well, when I used to be a work health and safety inspector, I used to read accident reports. So I read King's Cross Station, Piper Alpha. We don't have, actually have any large residential oil platforms in Australia. We have smaller ones, but nothing like Piper Alpha. But nonetheless, we were trying to capture lessons. We do have some underground railway stations. So with King's Cross, uh, we noticed that one of the problems was wooden escalators. And uh, in Australia, we replaced all of those with metal escalators. When I worked with air crash investigators, even if the crash wasn't in Australia, we couldn't wait to see the early reports and the subsequent reports, especially if it was aircraft that we flew in Australia. So we're very Mm -hmm. good at, at taking lessons taking ideas from others, bringing them back in our little rucksack to Australia, unpicking them and deciding which bits of these great ideas can we capture and move forward with. That's what we should all do anyway. Mm. And so it was picked up first from the Australian Army and then they started sharing it with the emergency managers Uh, and then it starts to trickle into business continuity because there's people like me that are both an emergency manager and a business continuity manager. And you're absolutely right, Alex. Uh, we do need to be learning from each other at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's how our, our, you know, we grow as individuals, our organizations grow, and our communities. Right? Hey, yeah. you know, such and such community did this, and look at the results of what happened. Is there something we can learn from that? And the, I don't think that happens enough these days. Well, oil, the thing I like about oil is it sort of gives you a structure around which to, to uh hang some of those observations and insights and and uh, use and, and in my business continuity plans for instance i always have an incident and exercise register where we actually review what we've done with these insights we picked up in previous and lessons from previous um, exercises incidents new messes and the like and see if we move forward because sometimes Lessons of the past are superseded. We get new technology, new ways of handling them. So sometimes we don't have to uh, make the necessary changes to move them into the right. lessons learned column because we, the organisation may have moved on. Of course, in COVID, we've seen a lot of our organisations move on at lightning speed. Yeah. And, and in Australia in particular, we've seen a lot of interface between defence and emergency management and policing during COVID, but also during some of our recent floods, bushfires and various other things. And I understand you Port Evels in Canada have had a few problems in around Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island with uh, yeah, Hurricane Fiona. Tropical, tropical storms that went a little further north and then they'd be welcomed. And yeah. uh, now, of course, um, Hurricane Ian, that seems to have been uh, causing a great deal of havoc around the Gulf of Mexico and Florida and possibly moving further north, hopefully not to Canada this time. You know, so far it looks like we might miss it, that it's not going to impact us. And if if it does, there might be a little bit of rain somewhere, but fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we've had the occasional cyclone in Australia that's uh, come further south that will be helpful. So unfortunately, we do know what this is like and it's not great. So mm-hmm. we just wish everybody involved in that only the best for their um, prompt recovery from these difficulties. Yes, most definitely. And um, again, stressing how oil fits into that that bigger um, environment. So after incidents, after near misses, exercises and simulations, those after action reviews or whatever else you might call them in your organisation. Of course, during COVID, we've been doing mid-action reviews to try and capture Uh, lessons, ideas as we've been going along to feed them into our forward plans to get ourselves in a better state of preparedness because COVID isn't over. And, of course, we may get struck again with outbreaks, variants and various other problems. So we do want to be capturing those um, ideas and inserting them into our plans. So uh, when you have a a very big incident, uh, and before we came on air, we were talking about the kangaroo island fire off of south australia 
Mm-hmm. And the um, <clears throat> after action review from that very serious fire that uh, burnt out about half of the island, it's a significantly uh, large island, killed a lot of koalas, unfortunately killed a couple of humans too. It was very regrettable. Uh, they did a significant after-action review where they collected a lot of observations, not just from emergency managers, but from all sorts of people involved, national parks, tourists that were there, people who were involved in tourist operations, uh, people who were involved with the animals before the uh, unfortunate fires, and so on, a large number of people. We also had a significant fire that, on. That brings up a good question. Mm-hmm. That, um, with lessons learned, uh, whether you're having a workshop or whatever the case may be after the fact, who should be involved? Because uh, a lot of times it's a small, a small little group who get around and, you know, excuse the language, but bitch and gripe you know, <laughs> about things. So who, who really should be involved with, with after action reviews or lessons learned workshops or, you know, whatever term you want to call them. Who should oh. be involved Sometimes when you've got senior people in the room, you probably want to keep it fairly tight. Uh, But uh, you can, of course, open up these reviews to a wider group, and they certainly did that with the Fraser Island fire. So they uh, involved uh, a whole lot of academics because there were research stations on the island, a lot of Aboriginal people because there were all sorts of Aboriginal sites that had to be protected uh, there's a big tourist operation there. Fraser Island's the largest sand island in the world, so it's very popular with the tourists. Uh, there's all sorts of people that wanted to put their two cents worth in and share their observations. So some of those were done by community meetings subsequently. So the operational elements relating to the fighting of the fire and some of the challenges were largely handled fairly uh, in-house, but the uh, broader implications of the fire to the general community of Fraser Island and beyond, uh, they they were given, I think it was six community meetings where they had an opportunity to, as we would say in Australia, put their two cents worth in. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think course- that's an, an interesting point you just brought up that uh, I know from my project management uh, years and even some business continuity years that a lessons learned workshop is one. It's not multiple. And you just kind of touched on something I think is important that a lessons learned isn't a one-time thing. It, it can be multiple meetings and sessions, right? Absolutely. And if it's big enough, you know, like those fires on Kangaroo Island and on, on Fraser Island, um, it's very wise to involve more people. Because as I've often said, everyone will bring a different insight. So when I conduct my exercises with clients, I do what I call a hot wash debrief before we leave the exercise room, but I also uh, encourage them to have a structured facilitated debrief within 30 days of a real incident because uh, not everyone is an an extroverted person who will happily speak up Mm -hmm. uh, quickly Mm -hmm. after an incident. Some people need time to think about it Mm. and uh, and perhaps... Um, more insights will come to them in a quieter moment. You know, there's the old, I used to have a boss that came and said, now I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. And I was, <laughs> oh, really, boss, do I have to think of that image? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, there are people like that who, who need time to um, consider. And, and that's the beauty of something like bringing more people in and giving them time to consider and, and you'll get a richness of data. And, of course, you will collect a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, my, one of my first degrees included qualitative sociology, so I'm quite accustomed to large amounts of narrative data that has to be collected and organised and collated and analysed. Is that and to make sure that there's a difference between the emotional response and the, um, I don't want to say logical response, but a more informed uh, thought out response because I, I know in some lessons learned it can become very emotional depending on what mm-hmm. the situation was but sometimes those emotions dictate the findings and they're not always the right findings indeed and that's why I recommend if it's a significant incident 
to do the hot wash debrief before people leave the room, before you stand down your team, but also to structure a, a, another opportunity within 30 days of the incident for, mm. for that uh, reflection, for that opportunity to reflect and if it's a major community incident, as we, we had with Kangaroo Island and Fraser Island, uh, to engage with the community and not just think it's the people that run around with the fire hoses and the helicopter and air assets and all this fancy stuff. Right. What about the people on the ground whose, whose uh, communities have been burnt out, whose um, tourism businesses have been burnt out, whose livelihoods have vanished uh, Aboriginal people whose whose uh, traditional custodianship has been put in jeopardy because of the damage due to fires, these sort of things. These are people who have insights to share and we must understand those insights in order to do better with emergency management moving forward. Okay. So and, you, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Last thing, um, disseminating. Coming back to those lessons, you may not be uh, capable of moving a lessons identified into the lessons learned column. And we might be getting close to a commercial break by now. Oh, just keep going. Just keep going. Okay. Uh, so to give you an example of that, in Australia, we've recently had a very serious hack, um, cyber hack of one of our major telecommunications providers. I think in Canada your big one is Rogers, isn't it? Isn't that one of yours? In Australia, well, it wasn't. It wasn't a hack, but it was a uh, a big, major outage. Yes. Yeah. Well, we we had them. Somebody hacked it, and they grabbed uh, a whole lot of personal identification details that are required to get a sim sim card in Australia to put it into your phone. You have to uh, provide what we call three hundred points of identification. So that involves things like your driver's license, your Medicare card, which is issued by the government here for health um, assistance, uh, your passport, and all sorts of valuable information if you're a cyber criminal that you can sell on the dark web and which these uh, kindly people released 10,000 records and have apparently impacted on 40% of the Australian adult commun uh, community. Wow. Yeah, it's a big one. Now, the uh, Australian Cyber Security Centre, which is part of the Australian Signals Directorate, which is part of the Australian Defence Force, are after these sorry creatures, along with our friends from the Australian Federal Police and now the Federal Bureau of Intelligence in, in the U US. So we've got everybody after these people. Boy, I hope they find a good rock to hide under because everybody's after them. Now, I hope they don't find a good rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I look forward to them uh, executing a, a nice search warrant and dragging them out of their house in handcuffs. That would be very nice. Yeah. I used to be a police officer. I rather <laughs> like bringing criminals to justice, and I think this lot might discover just how much justice they're going to get. And, of course, Recent incidents in America with your Colonial Pipeline and uh, what was the other one, JB uh, Meatworks, yep, they got them. And they got some of the money back from their ransomware demands too, no less. But my point here is, is with the Optus um, incident, the release of data onto the dark web, the Lessons will, the, the dealing with the actual criminal behaviour will be by the ACSC, the ASD, AFP and so on that I mentioned earlier. But they won't have the capacity to make the necessary changes. So they may identify the lessons, but they may not have the capacity legislatively to make the necessary changes so that those lessons move across to the lessons learn column and we actually do things to protect Australian data better. And that would come under the auspices of the Attorney General and the Department of Communication who actually issue licences to the telecommunication providers here and specify the conditions under which they will operate. So there's an example of where one group, ACSC, the Australian Cyber Security Centre, may identify some of the lessons but other groups will actually have to take those lessons forward 
so that they're learned and so that we make the necessary changes to protect data moving forward. Well, how do you circle back on that? Let's uh, use you and I as an example. I identify some lessons uh, learned from an incident um, that I've experienced, and I pass that off to you. How do I know that you're actually doing something? How do I, you know, at the end of the day, do I feel ignored or do I feel as though um, something is going to happen? Because as you mentioned, lessons learned means change. It means change. So how do we keep that going? Is there a trick to that? Is there some way, a, a communication vehicle that should happen between you and I? And that's why I put incident and exercise registers into my business continuity plans. And they're assessed by the Risk and Audit Committee, which in Australia generally reports to the CEO or the deputy CEO or someone with real teeth. They have independence and they usually within their charter for risk and audit committees have business continuity. So when I used to be an internal business continuity manager, I would report twice a year once with exception reporting and once with a more fulsome report, which would capture these lessons. And I would actually report on what lessons had been moved from identified to lessons learned Mm. column. If they were incomplete, I would provide a commentary about that I had liaised with my colleague Alex here who works, say, back to that example of the Optus. I might be working for ACSC. You might be working for Attorney Generals on privacy and uh, such matters, protection of data, um, public data information and how we would do that better. And and before that meeting with the Risk and Audit Committee, I'll be in touch with you saying, where are we, Alex? Have you sent the necessary amendments to Parliament House, which is the image behind me? I used to be their business continuity manager. So, uh, and then I would continue to report until it was closed off or, as I mentioned earlier, until that lesson had been superseded by uh, developments in the business or a new approach to dealing with that challenge. Okay, I was I was just kind of curious, you know, if because I, I've seen it happen, uh, especially in uh, large projects. Um, when they end, they always have a lessons learned at the very end, and uh, you know, within a month or so. But by then, half the, the staff is gone. They hold the lessons learned, and it things just kind of go off into the netherworld, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they, the next project comes along and they repeat the same um, mistakes or encounter the same challenges and they never really actually learn anything. Well, we have project management offices in most Australian government agencies and departments and we have a project management office in the Prime Minister's department. They keep an eye on these things so the lessons are captured and dealt with so that there is a register of these lessons and their status. Well, that's good to hear. I wish others would do that. (laughs) (laughs) Organizations, communities, you know, everybody, I wish they would all do that properly. Yeah. Now you um, had, um, uh, you, before we started recording, you had a great example that illustrated what uh, your last point was about capturing lessons learned in a, a large setting with um, you know a bunch of people, um, the the uh, the gentleman. Well, I, I don't want to give anything away, but yeah, you excellent. mentioned the you mentioned the example. Could you kind of mention that here? Because I thought that was yeah, sure. And and that was the Kangaroo Island fire. And uh, I, I mentioned that we have these lessons management forums, which is how a lot of emergency managers and business continuity managers in Australia were first exposed to these ideas of oil through those lessons management forums conducted by ADA, the Australian um, Institute of Disaster Resilience. Uh, and they, their most recent um, forum was held, I think it's March, in Brisbane and hybrid. Uh, and it's very modest if you want to join in. I think it costs about $258 for two days, so it's very modestly priced for, for uh, people all over the world to dial in. Anyway, uh, what impressed me by that was that a number of very senior people uh, had actually been much involved and very seriously involved in these uh, lessons uh, projects. 
And one of them included the Kangaroo Island fire, where there'd been considerable public commentary about the performance and that it wasn't good enough and all sorts of things. A lot of the people who make the commentary, of course, have never held a hose and, and never tasked anyone to do anything in emergency. So, mm, yes, armchair experts, as we would call them in Australia. Ah. But in capturing the observations, they came up with about 6,000, more than 6,000 observations from the many sources we talked about earlier. They gradually refined those down into something of the order of 20-something lessons. And it was interesting, the senior uh, manager that tasked this review, this lesson to review activity, uh, was asked, did they wish to be interviewed at the start of the project? by the consultants undertaking the project to just get their perspective. And the answer was, no, you should interview me last because I don't want to influence the direction of your work. I want you to be sharing the lessons that you have identified uh, through the time in the field that you've had, both with my members but also with, with other people who are more than disinterested spectators who are very key stakeholders, what were their observations, what could we learn to do better for them in the future. And so it takes, in my view, a courageous manager because what comes back from these reviews may not cast your organisation in a very favourable light. Uh, and there may be a very long list of things that need to be changed. I mean, most of my exercises I worked with one client for five years until I told them to sack me uh, because I feel that, you know, after five years they need different eyes on their organisation and that I wouldn't be helping them further. And, and they were so good in their crisis management team that other business continuity managers wanted to come and observe them. And uh, the last um, after-action report I wrote for them was uh, had 13 pages of um, things that they could still do better. So <laughs> even when you're really good at this stuff, there's still things that an incident, an exercise, an EMS can bring to the attention of your organisation. But you have to be courageous. You have to have a courageous mm. owner, a courageous leader willing to, well, put their head on the chopping block potentially yeah. so that um, things were not done as well as they should have been. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking about lessons management, oil in particular, with Chris Miller, and we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one. Hosted by Frank Hellring, we'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking today with Chris Miller. We are talking about oil and emergency management and oil standing for observations, insights, uh, lessons identified and lessons learned. Did I get it right? Absolutely. Perfect. (laughs) So now you're going to uh, talk to us how you were taking this uh, oil um, methodology and thinking to other areas. Can you tell us about that? Indeed, I can. And that was what I originally thought we'd be talking about (laughs) because I kind of thought you'd all know about oil and I wouldn't need any of that background stuff because it would be all so well known. Uh, but it appears it wasn't as well known as I thought until we, especially when we started talking. Now, uh, I, I worked with Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders for eight years, and I quickly discovered in my short time with them that, um, and remember, we're talking about people who have a, a continuous culture of more than 60,000 years. So eight years may seem like a long time in, in most people's careers to Aboriginal people. It's just a blink in the eye. But uh, that that experience of cross-cultural awareness with them um, had translated when I worked for the World Bank in Africa. And I wasn't sure whether the oil and this whole lessons management idea would would work uh, in a in a non sort of Anglo environment. If you look at those earlier slides, you know, coming from the US Army, uh, a big defence background with NATO and the British Army, the Australian Army, emergency managers in Australia and some business continuity managers here. It might work for sort of Anglo environment, but would it make sense cross-culturally? And the answer was, sure did. Those Swazis, they jumped on the bandwagon. They could see the logic. And that's a great relief because I'm currently working for the World Bank on something called HEPA which is the Health Emergency Preparedness and Response Projects, which are a trust fund administered by the World Bank for the Japanese, German and Australian governments. So it's a sizable sum of money. And the preparedness part is where I'm working. The response part relates to COVID and and, uh, following up from COVID. The WHO, the World Health Organization and other donors have, have handed over lots of vaccines for COVID to lower middle income countries. But there's a big difference between getting a vaccine and getting vaccinated. And that's where Mm -hmm. the World Bank and some other donors donating funds to translate those donated vaccines into large numbers of vaccinations for these populations in low and middle income countries. Now, the preparedness part is very far sighted. So the Japanese, German and Australian governments realise that this isn't the only pandemic we may have to deal with. And so they want to get all of these lower middle income countries that are willing to participate with HEPA involved in better emergency preparedness. So they're sending old war horses like me in to try and work with these people and share some of the insights that 50 plus years in this game have given me. 
and lots of kindly people who shared a lot of their lessons and their ideas and lots of my reading and so on and so on, a network through LinkedIn, you know, I've got 10,000 friends there, uh, just to inject some of that into their emergency managers so that they're in a better state of preparedness. And, of course, we know that capturing lessons and feeding those lessons into future plans is part of that essential preparedness. So when I went to uh, Swaziland, as it used to be, which is now called Eswatini, the kingdom of, uh, to do uh, two weeks of a mission in May, I thought, well, what gift can I bring to these people? And I thought, hmm, I understand they've already been involved in a number of exercises. They have an international airport, so they're required to have the usual fire and rescue um, exercises, you know, where they have pretend people, plane crashes, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff that we all do at our large airports just as part of our international accreditation. Uh, They've also had um, uh, severe uh, traffic accidents. They have a nice freeway that the Taiwanese built for them between their airport and major city, uh, Mabane, and uh, they've run exercises on that. They've run exercises on fires because, like Australia, they have severe problems with droughts, although with our La Nina at present it's flooding here. But uh, I'm sure at some point in time we'll be back in the drought space again and and, uh, my Swazi friends are very well aware of that and have had bushfires to deal with too. So I knew they had a lot of experience, but what I wasn't so certain about is had they structured that experience in a way that that could be a platform for their future preparedness? And the answer was, oh, yes, they could see what we're up to. They could see the logic and they could appreciate that they needed to be more structured in their approach to capturing those lessons, capturing observations, insights, lessons, identified and lessons learned when they had made the necessary changes to their current practices and plans and so on. And away they went. Uh, don't they're, they're a young nation. They're very eager. Their average age is uh, 60.3 or something. Uh, so you give them an idea, just get out of the way and let them get on with it. <laughs> and um, this is a good example. That's nighttime. This workshop with um, various four groups, uh, it started at 5 a.m. for me and it finished after 7 p.m. that night. And the only reason it finished then was because dinner was served. (laughs) 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 They work really hard and they work their consultants really hard. In case you're wondering where it is, it's surrounded mostly by South Africa but shares a border with Mozambique. And as you see, it isn't all work. We did have some fun and uh, we had very nice food at the mountain inn. So if you go to Mabane good place to eat, uh, and also a good place to run workshops. This this room here you're looking at is their um, public health emergency operations centre, which is where they ran their COVID response and other COVID-related activities, and they also had landslides and uh, Cyclone Eloise, so they've had all sorts of incidents. They also have a, a national disaster management agency, as you would expect in most countries these days. So um, oil made sense to them, the whole notion of of capturing, because they they did have a lot of observations, insights and lessons, but maybe not the methodology and structure to capture those and make the best use of them moving forward. And after the workshop... That's what I was going to ask. If they, they had some sort of loose structure in place, but just nothing formalized to help them move forward. Possibly. It was possibly in the heads of a lot of people. So, for instance, this Mm. gentleman here, that's me with the pink mask on, this gentleman here who heads up their their HEPA program in Eswatini for the Ministry of Health, Dr. Mazazama, uh, he would have a lot of it in his head. But whether it was documented, whether it was in a way that his team could readily access, whether it was injected to future plans, Uh, before I started talking to them about those sort of ideas, maybe less than than was optimal and hopefully it will be, they'll be more sensitised to doing that moving forward. We also briefed some very senior people. Uh, Another meeting we had here, we had one of the deputies for their Ministry of Health 
and uh, the, what we call in Australia first assistant secretaries, so someone just the next level down. So these are people that would report directly to the chief executive, the principal secretary, as is called Simon, in um, in Eswatini. So we did get an opportunity to influence at all levels. So hardworking people such as my friend here, Zizanda, uh, middle managers such as Dr. Metazela and very senior people. Uh, this lady here, uh, yep, there she is. She's an assistant commissioner of police. So uh, we, we dealt with um, a very significant cross-section of their leadership team in the kingdom. I guess that kind of goes back to what you were saying in the first segment is get a wide variety and cross-section of those that are, are have or can influence, you know, a response to situations or um, preparedness or something like that, not just specific little groups, you know, like, like uh, the suggestion you had earlier um, with Kangaroo Island and Fraser Island, not just the, the people with the hoses trying to put out the fire, but the rest of the community as well. And that's what happened here, uh, I can see as well, as you're describing it, right? Yes, and before the workshops. So the workshops, we had a two-week mission. The workshops were held in the second week. The first week, we spent a great deal of time with what we call multi-sectoral engagement. So we went around, we're working, remember, on health emergencies. So we went around and met all sorts of people. For instance, we met the people in agriculture and the veterinary science because 70% of um, significant infectious diseases of concern in, in public health are zoonotic. So they arise from animals. So the sentinels, the people who are likely to be giving you the intel that, hey, Houston, you could have a problem here, <laughs> are the people in the vet and agricultural space. And often you get a situation such as we got with one of the bird flu pandemics in, in China, uh, where we, we had a whole lot of sick farmers, but we also had a whole lot of sick hens and chickens that had to be disposed of. Uh, and the two, it, it was first, oh, but I've got all these sick chickens, and by the way, I'm not feeling too well myself. It's that kind of interface. It's making sure you get that intel so that you know you've got a problem so you can contain the problem before it becomes a bigger problem. Eswatini is only a small country of about 1.4 million people, so... Uh, things can spread very quickly when you've got a relatively small footprint. And I also do work in Timor-Leste and the same problem applies there. You need to get that surveillance, get that alert status before the emergency or before it gets into a bigger emergency, a bigger mm -hmm. outbreak. So getting those relationships in place. And as one of my colleagues so well described it, um, uh, Superintendent Joe was speaking to me um, from New South Wales Police, who looks after who looked after water police and a whole lot of cruise ships during COVID times. Oh, lucky him! Anyway, uh, he said the time to um, uh, to meet these multi-sectoral colleagues is not when you're here in the public health operations emergency operations centre, FIOC when you're exchanging business cards, but preferably that you have met here in workshops and preparedness and exercises so that you do understand the scope and limitations, what you can do and what you can't do that might be helpful when you find yourself in, in a response environment. Well, that so, actually yeah. leads me to, to my next question. Uh -huh. How do you build oil, um, not just in Eswatini, but uh, overall, how do you build it for ongoing success, not just a one-time thing based on, you know, a single event, and then the next event comes along and, you know, it's all messed up, not handled the same way. So what's a good way of setting it up for long-term success? Well, they actually have set it up for long-term success in Eswatini extremely well. <clears throat> so although I'm there focusing on the health emergencies, I mentioned that they have a National Disaster Management Agency, which is headed up by Russell Dalmini. And Russell attended the workshops. He sent his people, Victor, who looks after, who's a desk officer for health, the health sector, to these workshops and other colleagues from his team. Uh, so, so uh, you know, he, he is the, the strategic um, operator 
as the leader of the organisation and they're more involved in the tactical and operational elements. But uh, all of what was going on in the workshops is being fed into his bigger superstructure plan. So they have a, a national plan of which there's a significant element relating to the health sector, but then there's much more detailed plans. And again, each of those plans captures the lessons and Further, in the Ministry of Health, a fellow called uh, Mr. Damasini runs their project management office. Remember I talked about project management offices in Australia? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how pleased I was to meet the fellow that heads up the Ministry of Health project management office in Eswatini. (laughs) So they are doing the same good things that we are doing. Maybe someone shared these ideas with them. Maybe they thought of it for themselves. Who knows? But they're ahead of the curve and they're doing some of the things that we identified in the first segment as being helpful. Any tips, because we're, we're getting near the end of our, our uh, uh, show today, um, any tips for organizations, communities um, to really change the way they're doing lessons learned? What, what are some of the things they should look at you know, whether we know they're being successful or not, what are some of the tips that maybe you have from your, your uh, obviously a lot of experience with this, you know, start doing this, take a look to see if you're doing that, you know, those kind of things. Well, find brave managers. Because <laughs> this, you've got to have a champion that's willing to, to listen to things that may not show their organisation in the best light. Even though I'm careful in in my uh, after-action reviews to speak about what went well, you know, in Australia, we we consider getting people out of harm's way and having no deaths is super good because Mm. some of the the wildfires that you would have seen the (laughs) images of, and you've had a few of them yourself in Canada, um, and the Americans know all about it too, unfortunately, sometimes it is impossible to fight them. The The real success in emergency management is getting people out of harm's way and then dealing with it when things calm down or when the rains come or when it's actually possible to contain it. So maybe setting, setting the parameters of success in, more realistically because in, in Australia and other places, you can't stop these fires hitting. You can't stop the flooding that we're going to have with La Nina. But uh, what you can do is get people out of harm's way. And, for instance, with this cyber attack, really, uh, you opened IAPIs so that these unpleasant creatures could get in there? Yes, yes, your data was encrypted. But, geez, it doesn't take much to get unencrypted uh, software that can unencrypt things, by the way. Um, Couldn't you have been a bit more ahead of the curve? So this whole notion of preparedness. So the cycle I often see is... You know, what what went well, what went less well, how could we have been better prepared for the next whatever? So building bigger levees if it's flooding. Um, In the case of cyber attack, stop hanging on to your customer's data when you don't actually need it. Because you need the data to identify the customer, but once they're identified, do you really need their identification data on an ongoing basis? Or could you set some sort of timeline after which that data will be sensibly destroyed so that the traces of it are not available to be sold on the dark web? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is about the cycle of preparedness, response. We call it PPRR in Australia, so Prevention, Preparedness, Response and Recovery. But uh, And and all of that's about resilience. So if you can... Get prepared through learning these lessons and making the necessary changes so that you're in a better state of preparedness for the next event. And, and that takes courage and it takes investment mm-hmm. and it takes following up on a lot of the ideas that we've shared in the uh, session this evening. Well, we have exactly three minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts, anything you'd like to convey on lessons learned, oil, anything? Well, um, some free resources. <clears throat> oh, everyone loves free resources. I know. I know everybody has <laughs> on free resources. Now, I mentioned our friends, the U.S. Army. Um, this book was put out first in the 1980s and has been updated a few times since, but they have a quarterly 
e-newsletter that's free that you might wish to subscribe to. I mentioned earlier about the Australian Institute of Disaster Resiliency. Over here are some uh, segments from their free, you can download them off their website, proceedings from their lessons management forum that they held back in March in Brisbane in my hometown. They also have a lessons management handbook that my colleague uh, Mark Cuthbert, that everyone calls Bert, helped write. It's getting a bit old now, 2019. They might have to engage Bert to update it. But it also has models and examples as a companion document along with case studies. It's all freely available through ADARE, the Australian Institute of Disaster Resiliency. You've got their website there and you can go and freely make access of these resources, which they'd love you to make use of. And if you've got comments, other ideas about how we could do better, I'm sure the ADF folks would love to hear from you. So free resources, that's the best I can offer. Uh, any any personal final comments? Yeah, it. Um, I, I really found oil has uh, helped me structure my thinking because I think before oil came into my life and, and into my practice in, in emergency management and business continuity. I probably had a whole lot of lessons, a whole lot of observations. It was a bit unstructured. Maybe my qualitative uh, sociology training helped me organise it a bit, but I think it's, it's helped improve the rigour by which I capture those lessons and manage those lessons from being identified to real change in the uh, client organisations I work with through their risk and audit committees and other people, the project management officers and so on, who can follow that up because as a consultant, I obviously come and go. Well, on that note, we've come to the end. Chris, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, all, all the talk on lessons management and oil and how people can uh, you know, really adapt and adopt this kind of thing. I know there's lots of talk you know, about lessons learned, but not a lot of people really dig into it to give what it really means and how to go about doing it. You know, as you put, a single workshop may not cover it and isn't really the best way. And I, so I really liked uh, some of the examples and uh, different uh, ways of looking at it to get the really best thing you need to, to move forward from, unfortunately, often negative situations. So I really appreciate you uh, you coming and talking with us today. Thanks, Alex. And of course, like you, I can be easily found on LinkedIn. Always happy to have a chat. Great. Thank you very much, Chris. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.